word. I'm going to say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Tempe, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in the state and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on Word. While we hunker down amid a pandemic, creatives are facing tough times too. Performances have been canceled. Open mics have been shut down. We as a society are having to do things we didn't do before, but some of that is also gonna help us grow in a new way. I'm not excited where we are, but I'm excited with the new things that we're gonna be able to come up with as a result of being in this situation. And regular patrons of indie bookstores are keeping their physical distance, forcing the cancellation of touring authors in Arizona who rely on public appearances to connect to their audiences. All of those things got canceled, as well as the interview with you, but we didn't cancel. We found a way to do this, and that's kind of been the modus operandi. But many are turning to technology to gigify their arts and maintain a connection to those who support their writing and performing. Albuquerque and Santa Fe, it's an amazing poetry community here, and I think the poets have really stepped up, and it's a lot like family. They're they're the ones who keep us going. As we celebrate International Women's Herstory Month in this second part, we focus on how women podcasters, poets, and creative writing instructors, as well as spoken word performers, are coping in the age of COVID-19. We begin with a former longtime NPR reporter and now host of a children's podcast called Book Club for Kids. Kitty Feld was slated to tape her show in Phoenix and meet up with patrons of some independent bookstores in Arizona. But due to recent events, she's postponing her travels. I had a chance, though, to talk to her recently and began by asking her how she became a podcasting advocate for children's literature. I'm a public radio lifer, practically. I spent three decades in public radio working for mostly stations in Southern California. Um, I did some coverage of international stuff for monitor radio and, you know, a few other things. But um, one of the things I did in L.A. was I had a talk show. Uh, for almost a decade. And we used to go to the LA Times Festival of Books and had a booth. And people would come up to us and say, oh, I love your show. And they'd be bringing their kids with them. And the kids would say, yeah, we listen too. <laughs> I said, well, you know, why are you listening? There's nothing on this show for you. And they said, yeah, we kind of noticed, but we are in mom's carpool. And so we listen to whatever she listens to. And so I thought, my goodness, I have a captive audience. What would you guys be interested in? And because we were at a book festival, of course, they said books. So once a month, what we would do is throw all of the um, adults out of the studio and just invite middle school kids in to talk about a novel. And we would have the author listening in on the phone, and they would chime in at some point. And because we were in L.A. Station, we got lots of celebrities coming in and out, and I would always try to grab one to read just a page from the book so we could include that for anybody who hadn't read the book that we're discussing. So that's what we did on radio. And then um, my last big radio gig was working in Washington, D.C., covering Capitol Hill. And when I stopped doing political reporting, I thought, 
wow, what was it the thing that I really enjoyed the most of all the things I did as a reporter? And quite frankly, it was talking to kids about books because they're so honest and they're so open and the conversations are so rich. And because the technology has changed, in 2015, I started up the Book Club for Kids podcast. That's an outstanding backstory. And uh, folks can find out more information at bookclubforkids.org. What are some of the more surprising things that, you know, you mentioned children's honesty, and of course, oftentimes, they're sometimes more honest than we would like them to be. Um, but what are some of the more honest things that they've told you about reading? Well, some of them are really touching, and some of them are just darn funny. Um, there was a group of seventh grade girls who, um, you know, we always end the podcast by asking everybody, what is your favorite book and why do you love it? And a lot of them were naming dystopian novels. And I said, well, what? why do you guys love dystopian novels? They're so darn depressing. And they laughed and they said, no, no, they are hopeful. And I was stunned because I thought, how can these you know, stories about the end of the world be hopeful? And they said, well, all of the lead characters are girls and all of the boys in the stories treat them with respect. And I thought, oh, yeah, as compared to the seventh grade boys you go to school with. So, you know, it just it's a different way of looking at things. And then I remember one episode we did was with um, Newbery Award winner Kwame Alexander. And his first book was called The Crossover. And it's about brothers in basketball and it's written in verse. And so we talked about poetry and we talked about basketball and I have to describe this group of boys. When I walked into the uh, school library, there were five fifth graders, and they were all literally climbing the shelves. They were climbing the bookshelves of the library, and the librarian had to go in and pluck them off and plunk them down onto beanbags. And I thought, this is not going to go very well, because they were very, very squirrely. But in the conversation, and when we started talking about the brothers part, the relationship between the two characters, all the boys started opening up about their own relationships with their own siblings and their parents. And they got really serious about that. One boy said, um, gosh, you know, I could hardly wait until my sister went away to college. And then when she left, I don't know why, but I, I got real sad. And then another boy chirped in and said, yeah, you know, my dad works for Amtrak and and he has to go in and stand on ladders and change the light bulbs. And I'm always afraid he's going to fall off the ladder and hurt himself. And, you know, this conversation went on and several of the boys were in tears. You know, these are tough little boys from the fifth grade. And then they broke into song, Tom. Acapella. They had written a song that had inspired them about this book. And I mean, that just took my breath away. Standing story. And of course, you were slated to share some of your story and bring the podcast to the Phoenix area. But unfortunately, due to this coronavirus outbreak, we've all had to make adjustments to our personal schedules. Uh, here at KJZZ, we're doing a lot of telecommuting. We're just trying to find a way. But this has been difficult on the creative community who rely on those public appearances to sign and sell books, for instance, or musicians, for instance, to do performances. Even, you know, your neighborhood poet who's coming down to make a little bit of extra money for groceries and put a tip jar out has been affected. How has your show been affected? Well, in two ways, I would say, Tom. I am so disappointed that I couldn't be there in Phoenix. I mean, I had 
As you said, a book club taping, we were going to go back to Changing Hands Bookstore. We have already taped an episode there a few years ago, and we got an invitation to come back. I was going to see Dodger Baseball, um, and I had a book signing at Poison Pen Bookstore. So all of those things got canceled, as well as the interview with you. But we didn't cancel. We found a way to do this. And that's kind of been the modus operandi. We tape our episodes in advance as far as we can because there's so many elements you have to put together. We've got to tape with the kids. We've got to have an interview with the author. And we have to have a piece of tape from a celebrity reading from the book. And so I have a number of episodes that are in pieces that we are trying to put together at this point in time. And as you say, so many people in the performing arts are idle right now and they're desperate to do something to help. And we had a number of books that needed celebrity readers. And I just put a note on a um, Latin next um, uh, performers page on Facebook. And I got so many responses from generous actors desperate to try to do something to make the world a better place. And, you know, that's one way we have done it. The, the other thing we have done is every other week, in addition to our regular episodes, which are 20 minutes long and have that book discussion, we do either an interview with the author that's extended or we ask our favorite question, which is, what is your favorite book and why do you love it? And that is so easy to do remotely. I've been reaching out to schools and libraries and parents who are at home stuck with their kids looking for something interesting to do. And every one of those kids can be a podcast star from their living room or their bedroom or wherever they'd like to record it. Because all we need is for a kid to do one of two things. They can call us and leave this little patter on our voicemail. Or you can just open the voicemail app on your phone and record yourself and we ask people to give us their first name, tell us the city where they live, the name of their favorite book, and why they love it, and then email that file to us. And if you don't have a phone that you can record on, you can also just call in, and we'll record you off that voicemail. And what we'll do is we're going to put together as many of these as we can get. I mean, any kids who call in, we will be putting together bonus episodes every single week. So call in and you can be a podcast star from home. Yeah, we should mention that this, of course, is a non-for-profit bookclubforkids.org. The podcast is hosted by Kitty Feld, who was going to make an appearance here to the Phoenix metro region. You know, Kitty, this is uh, International Women's History Month, and that was one of the other reasons why we wanted to talk to you. We've been talking to folks who are women or who identify as women, but who are writers, per se, as their first sort of vocation, or maybe uh, it's their second vocation and they fit it in when they possibly can. But one of the things that I have noticed, for instance, in some various reading fairs that I've gone to here recently, like one that was a local author's fair with writers from all over the state, I would wager to say 70% of the writers were women. And that was just very encouraging. What are you finding in terms of the audience and the people that are writing for your audience as far as gender is concerned? Are you finding more women or people who identify as women, as authors? You know the, the, the way this works. In the professions that don't pay as well, they're predominantly um, peopled by women. 
And that goes for children's literature as well. And there's an enormous controversy going on within the kid-lit world about how the few male authors that are out there, quite frankly, are getting the book festival invites, are getting the big dollars for school visits, are getting a lot of the awards. Does that mean they're better writers? No, you know, I don't know about that. So it's an interesting world to be in. But I I think that has more to do with it is uh, writers don't get paid a lot, A. Writers who write kids' books really don't get paid a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons it's people buy women in a lot of ways, quite frankly. It's just guys don't think, you know, it's just not worth the trouble. If I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to write thrillers and I'm going to make a million dollars. Well, Kitty Feld, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about how to maintain kids' interest in not just young adult literature, but hopefully reading for life. Kitty, thanks so much for coming to Word. Hey, Tom, thanks so much for asking me. And by the way, I'll be back to Phoenix soon, as soon as we'll let us out of the state. You can find out more information about Book Club for Kids, hosted by Kitty Feld, by visiting our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. Count Me In. It's a way for you to financially support the award-winning reporting, entertainment, and music you hear on KJZZ. Just go to countmein.kjzz.org. Your mornings can define the rest of your entire day. Find the $5 you forgot about in your pocket. That might be a good day. Get stuck in a traffic mess on the 51, probably going to be a bad one. But when you begin your day with Morning Edition, you start fully awake with the latest and most important news to prepare you for whatever comes next. Take control of your day and listen to Morning Edition from 5 until 9 on KJZZ 91.5. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Jules Nyquist is a poet and teacher from Placitas, New Mexico, where she also runs Poetry Playhouse. She joined me via Skype recently, and I began our discussion by asking her how long she's been writing. I've always had some kind of writing or journaling going on, and back in junior high, I had a good creative writing teacher who encouraged me, and I started writing poems and always have been journaling, and um, I actually... uh, have an undergrad more in communications and writing. And then I got my uh, MFA at Bennington in uh, writing and poetry. And I got that in 2007. Uh, But I'm a late to college type of person. And it was about 20 years between my high school graduation and when I started back graduating from my undergrad. So um, I've always been working a lot and having my hand in a lot of different things with work and so I think that stems from some of the curiosity I have as a writer out there in the world. Yeah. And, you know, as you say in your own words, being later into academic life, obviously you have more real world experience. And sometimes I think, at least from what I've heard from other creative writing professors, for instance, or seen when I was workshopping creative material, is that it is kind of difficult sometimes for what we would consider an average college age student to take up the task of creative writing. I think a lot of it's just being observant and having that sense of where you are in the world. And I mean, you can write a poem pretty much about anything, but it's the language or having, you know, some experience to draw on or watching other people or, you know, what writing about the state of the world. So I think that can help too, where you're coming from. 
Um, and then I decided to start some of my own um, writing community. Um, I'm a I'm from Minnesota originally, so I'm a Minnesotan, and I moved to New Mexico in 2011, partly just to uh, jumpstart my writing life. I had some. Uh, wanted a fresh start in some different things. It was between different things. And I could also telecommute with my job. So I still have a regular 40 hour a week day job. <laughs> so, um, but I find that time, I think writing keeps me sane in a lot of that. So I'm always trying to find time to keep writing. What is it about the art form of poetry that maybe you prefer more than fiction, um, essays, that type of thing? I would say it's the partly the language because as poets where you tend to be a little bit sparse and every word counts and it's also your way of work, looking at the world and kind of that more insightfulness or what's going on making it's a bit like a puzzle a little bit where you you know I'm it's the same with fiction if you're telling you're still telling stories but you know what's that nugget or what's that question you're asking what's that object you're putting in there or how are you wrapping this all together in a shortened form like a poem not to say some poems could be longer but usually it's a mini story or observation that you're getting at like capturing a moment or a feeling yeah and you've sort of hit on something that i've talked about in previous programs, which is a focus on the right word choice. Often I liken it to doing a crossword puzzle for something sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, You have an interesting um, thing that you call Poetry Playhouse. And um, where in New Mexico do you live? Uh, Well, we're in Placidas Mm -hmm. right now, which is just north of Albuquerque. It's kind of between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Gotcha. Yeah. And so what goes on at the Poetry Playhouse? Well, it's a very peaceful type of setting, and um, there's, you know, the Sandia Mountains here, and you can see, you know, the we're high desert, which means we still have four seasons, and we moved to Placidus about a year ago from Albuquerque, and we it started in Albuquerque, and it's had various locations, but and now we're going a lot more online as well, and I think it's more of, you know, a global community and a place for play and poetry or poetry-related things. Um, I came up with Playhouse partly because I think that creative process is a lot about play and not trying to get too academic or too hard on yourself and just see what comes out of there, you know, with your writing and to have some fun with it. Well, and I do think sometimes people approach the act of writing poetry as, you know, from a place of being scared. It's like, oh, well, only academics do this or only academics understand that. So that's great. You also touched on something, talking about telecommuting, uh, something that a lot of us are having to get used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are certainly doing that here at KJZZ and throughout the entire Division of Public Service as we are connected to Rio Salado College. Have you had to adjust activities that you do at the Playhouse as a result of this? Yeah, definitely. Um, We've canceled, you know, canceled all of our March and April events. And, you know, as it goes forward, we're, we're looking to do a lot more online and in the future. And um, Albuquerque and Santa Fe, it's an amazing poetry community here. And I think the poets have really stepped up and, and it's a lot like family. They're, they're the ones that keep us going. Um, Some of them, have done things, you know, like Facebook Live and different broadcasts anyways. And now, now, like with Zoom and other different things, we're looking to keep our 
open mics going. We have one at this brewery that, of course, now that's not going to happen, but it's the last Tuesday of the month. So our next one's March 31st. We're going to try it online and have uh, featured poets. And it's kind of nice now because anybody can join in. (laughs) You've got a worldwide audience now, right? Yeah, I sort of feel that the same thing is going on here in the Phoenix metro region where we are centered and then all throughout the state of Arizona. I've read comments or talked to people personally that have been adjusting, as you say, trying to open up the audience in one way. But the other issue is trying to make a living because some of these people are creative for a living. And it's, it's difficult when they're used to just you know, even putting a tip jar out, for instance, and getting grocery money to continue to do that these days. Right. And we have some friends that, you know, that are musicians and poets, too. They rely a lot on touring and, you know, a lot of that's canceled. So we usually pass the hat for the poet at some of these readings. We do have a donation button on our website. So we're going to try to incorporate that and set it up, you know, at that night, that money goes to the featured poets or so, you know, it's been a kind of a quick adjustment for us to go totally online right away. And, um, and we're also looking at future classes to try to do some of those online. That'll probably be about a month or so before we kind of get that up and running. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of changes that. And then when things do settle down, how it, how that will affect things. But I think it really helps us be thankful for you know what we can do. As far as poetry is concerned, is there a type of poetry that you like best um, just all over the map? I have more of a narrative storytelling type of poetry. A lot of my poems tend to be about real life or, or the environment. Um, I also work a lot in form. I've taught a Sestina class in the past, um, so I really love Sestinas, just because, and other forms too, but I think that's when you're constricted in a little bit on how you tell a story with a poem and you're using the repetition of words or form or structure, it's like a scaffolding that you can build on, and it helps give you some different word combinations and different things, and the poem can kind of direct you into things that you never knew you don't really know what's going to happen by the time you get done. And that to me is is a very playful, fun type of form. For those who are listening who don't know what a sestina is, maybe you could just describe it. Sure. And I'm happy to read one for you Absolutely. Too later. But uh, a sestina is six. So the end words um, of each line ends in, so you have a first stanza with six lines. And those end words repeat in a pattern to the next stanza for six stanzas. And then it wraps up in an envoy, which is uh, three lines using all those six words. So it's got a lot of a repetition and it's also good for kind of like obsessive topics where you hear these same (laughs) words over and over again um the line lengths can be short or long that doesn't matter there's different variations and then of course there's variations on sustenance too but but that's basically what it is and so then what is the purpose of that repetition from one line and then carrying over into the next it's it kind of rhymes with itself Mm -hmm. so um i'm happy to read yeah a poem for you, if you like. Absolutely. Um, that's out of my uh, latest book, which is called Homesick Then. 
and that was actually the winner for the New Mexico Arizona Book Awards last year in poetry. So it's about uh, my parents. It was a lot about um, caretaking my dad when when he died about five years ago, and then my mom right before that. And how do I? It's kind of the life and the death of my parents as from a daughter's perspective and family, and so um, which I know a lot of women are primary caretakers a lot, and 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 that whole process. So I also put food items in here, and this poem is called Roses. It's a Sestina. And it's about my dad, where he always used to pick roses for my mom. And I also, so roses is one of those end words. Um, Table or kitchen table is another end word. Um, And I think for if, for like a writing prompt that I would use for this is think about a kitchen table or a table where your family gathers and that can spur a lot of those memories for a writing topic. Great. And again, this is called roses. Dad picks roses for mom from the garden to put in a vase on her table. But by end of April, the snow swept up the corn stalks. The latest anyone with corn had seen snow. The roses covered the doorstep. The snow didn't get to. And from dad's parents' kitchen table, he looked out at his dad, putting the stalks upright. He put the yellowed leaves of stalks that would come back, tabled around after the sun rose again blooming, going from spring and planting to snow within a week of snow, It melted and the corn was off, put back on track from seasons into growing corn, knee high by July 4th, rising up for glory, tables of produce, sweet corn tabled under melting snow. But we can't eat roses. We can only put them out as a memorial to lost corn, lost names, lost graves from one city to the next, from moving the family farmhouse table, moving the whole house surrounded by cornfields where little boys grow up to shovel snow and fix semi-trucks, work construction, put food on the table with a vase of roses in the middle for mom, covered from snow, her table set for guests that never came, put out the corn, the butter, the salt, the roses. Wow. You know, what strikes me about that poem are several things, but one of the things that I kind of pick up immediately is this interplay between, you know, sustenance and life, life and death, snow being an emblem of winter. Often we think of death in winter, but then all of these other accoutrements of life in there. And it's just such a beautiful poem. Thanks so much for reading that. Yeah. And isn't that wonderful how the Sestina helps us get the, that mix that we want yes. probably got in it by just writing the story. So that's what's what I like about it. <laughs> Yeah. And the other thing that's great is just, you know, having you on and listening to that without seeing it in front of me, I'm I'm allowed to maybe let my mind wander a little bit more. And uh, no, I'm not suggesting that there's one interpretation for anything, obviously, but that's an interpretation that I get just Mm -hmm. from listening to you read it versus I know that if I read it, I might have something a little bit different to say. Right. And poetry is a very oral art form. And that's, and, and you know, in times of crisis like this, uh, people turn to poetry or reading. And so that's how we can share that with the world. Yeah, I'm reminded of that by numerous people who say, hey, now's the time I'm going to get to that book that I've been, you know, mm-hmm. putting off <laughs> from reading. And yeah, it's a thousand pages, but I've got time to do it now. So, well, Jules Nyquist, I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing your work with us. 
us and giving folks some insight on what things that they can do creatively. Well, it's been wonderful. And thanks so much for all the work that you're doing with this show as well. Jules Nyquist is a poet and teacher based in Placitas, New Mexico. You can find out more information about her work and Poetry Playhouse by visiting word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. Maybe you've lived in the Valley for years, or maybe you just got here. If you're curious about Arizona and have questions, KJZZ wants to know about them. Send us a question at qaz.kjzz.org, and if yours is selected, KJZZ reporters will investigate. KJZZ's car donation program accepts all types of vehicles to support the programs you rely on. Whether it's a boat, car, truck, or RV, donating is easy and a great way to support your public radio station. Details at cars.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Caress Russell, a.k.a. Lady Caress, is a Valley performer and spoken word artist. I caught up with her recently via Skype and wanted to know, as a fellow transplant, why she chose Phoenix to bloom. I moved to Arizona about three and a half years ago. I was actually on the road traveling, doing um, a college and university public speaking. And I, I was I kind of got tired of being on the road. So I was like, you know, if I'm going to get off the road, I, I want to come back and do something where I'm still progressing in my career. So I started my master's in performance theater at Arizona State University. And yeah, my graduation is actually in a month. <laughs> is it still but, on? <laughs> it, Right now, they haven't given us any um, communication in terms of what we're going to be doing to replace, you know, a live graduation. But, you know, they are live streaming it. I know that. So that may end up being an option. And I I may just end up, you know, dressing up in my my cap and gown right here in my own home. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but other than that, so I've been I've been in Arizona for about three and a half years. Before that, I lived in D.C. for a little while. I would consider myself a bit of a rolling stone. I moved around a lot growing up, went to three different colleges in undergrad and just kind of went where the wind blew um, (laughs) and and kind of some of those respects. I've been doing poetry now for probably about 12 years professionally. And then before that, I went to law school and realized it was not for me, which pushed me into more of this artistic genre that I'm in now. Um, But it's it's been an exciting ride for me. I've considered the world my oyster. And so anytime there was an opportunity to kind of go do or jump into an uncharted sea that I hadn't been in before, I took it. And I've been writing about things that I've experienced and things that I've seen. And it's just kind of really given me a broader perspective on life as a result. You know, I'm curious about that law component because some of the things that studying law, even if you don't ever become a lawyer, builds are the act of deep questioning and then also making bold statements. Oh, yeah. Has that ever carried over into your performances, into your poetry? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the reason I decided to go into law school, I was doing speech and debate um, in undergrad. And that's actually I was a part of the Great Debaters uh, reboot um, for HBCU and and, and Wiley College in Marshall, Texas. And, you know, in that we learned how to switch side debate, you know what I mean? Take on issues and not just think about them in a way where this is what I believe, but also to be able to switch sides and then create arguments for the opposing side as well. So it allowed me to kind of like get this this sort of mental mentality 
reality of being able to see things through other people's eyes and not just my own. So that I think has always been, you know, a part of, you know, my study and my practice and, and the skills that I've kind of garnered over the years. But in addition, going to law school, I started realizing some of the limitations then that regardless of if we open our minds, the law does have limitations as well. And started I started to see injustice in a way that was really different. Um, and so from that, I kind of actually garnered a bit of 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 disdain for for law. Um, and and I think from that, that's what kind of really initiated me pulling away from it in some respects, because it's not about what's right. It's about what you can prove. And I didn't really like that concept. And so actually that kind of moved me more into talking about what some of those injustices were or talking about some of those things or even recognizing them more on a political, more on a social level and not just in terms of abstract ideas. So that was quite interesting for me, but it also has played such a huge part into the work that I do now, how I think now, um, and just my ability to kind of look at arguments and look at, you know, what's happening in our society in a completely different way. Well, and also not having to face a legal judge, if you will. Obviously, the audience can be a kind of a judge, but perhaps you have more freedom to express the injustices that people are experiencing uh, exactly. with what you're doing and, and, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that's the exciting part, right? Because now there isn't any limitation and deciding to do art full time, you know, I mean, your voice is, is, is what you use to kind of go out there and do what, you know, do and say and, and show people what you believe. And for me, it was so much better to do that without that judgment or without that cap or without those limitations and stipulations. And I think from that, you can really, really get your point across, you know, in a, in a, in a way that you probably couldn't through, through law. So yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, you write a lot about empowerment. Uh, I, I watched a couple of very empowering and just uh, amazing videos that you produced of spoken word poetry. And you use, obviously, a multimedia approach to do this. But do you repeat that same type of multimedia approach in a live performance? Oh, yes. So, you know, and, and that's the fun part, right? Um, so when, when I when I get on stage, you know, I I immediately, and I tell people, the students and the, and the audience that I perform for, I tell them, I say, if you've gone to a coffee shop and seen a poet on stage or, you know, in, in a library, I'm not that poet, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not that one. I'm the one who wants you to wave your hands, kiki, la, la, booty bump each other, you know, and give me some feedback. Say, yes, girl. And I beatbox. Um, I do that live on stage as well while I'm performing. Um, I tell jokes. I do some crowd participation type stuff because for me, art is not just, you know, a distancing between the audience and the performer. It's instead an engagement. And so I try to impact people on a personal level. And so for that, my show is a bit more interactive than just a poem being read aloud or said aloud. You know, it's me really becoming that poem. And sometimes I'm not even behind a microphone. Sometimes I'm running all over the stage and performing what I'm saying. Um, and that's where that actually of performance theater kind of comes in, right? It's not just me speaking on a mic. It's more me giving you a show and really bringing that to life. So yeah, it's definitely multimedia. It's definitely um, not your average poem or not your average poetry show. Um, but I pride myself on that. And I think that's why, you know, people can bring me out because I, I try to talk about difficult issues in a lighthearted way. And doing that through comedy, beatboxing, music is just a great way to engage people. I want to go back to you growing up. And I get the sense having, you know, watched some other interviews that you were kind of a shy child, maybe even an introvert. Oh, oh yeah. Um, I, you know, when you move around from school to school, you, you don't quite 
garner long-term friendships in the way that some people who have maybe stayed in, in, in one place for a while have. And so I was always kind of reinventing myself or feeling as if I had to prove myself every time I right. And so because of that, you know, sometimes it was great. Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes I didn't quite know where to go. And so I did become quite an introvert. Um, and it was really a charge on my parents to kind of help push me because there wasn't a lot of friends. You know, there weren't a lot of other people for me to lean on. And at the time I was the only child. And so, you know, my parents were my friends as I moved from place to place to place. It was like I'd come home and they were the only constant. So they really had to p- play a, a major role in, in helping me push past that shyness. And they took that role on graciously. I mean, to the point where, you know, I, I was I was the girl who was really just afraid to go introduce myself to other kids. And so my mom would even play kind of games with me with that and say, <laughs> you go over there and introduce yourself and you get this, you know, or, you know, when, when, when it's time to order pizza, my mom would say, no, we want you to order the pizza. And I'd be like, no, I have to talk to the pizza people. And she'd say, yeah, you gotta, you know, but it was it was stuff like that, just making me and pushing me past, you know, moments of uncomfortability and and really helping me get that way. Um, that that that's really has contributed to me being able to grow past that. Well, and I just deeply identify with that. I was a person who grew up moving quite a bit as you did. I was a person who grew up in the public eye because of the chosen field of my dad. And just that that story you tell about the phone call, that was exactly my household. And I think that something about that, uh, if a change happens, and it doesn't necessarily have to be spoken word, but I'm always interested in how that introvert can become an extrovert in life. And it seems like that's sort of what's happened to you. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, even when I work with people in, in public speaking, I was training some people for a TEDx conference last week. And, you know, as I work with people who, you know, fear public speaking or fear speaking publicly, right, that the way you get people out of that is to let them know, like, you know, it's through practice. It's honestly through pushing past that fear. And to do that, you've got to get yourself involved in areas that you're afraid to be involved in, you know? And so I I think, you know, sometimes I would say like the reason I've gotten this way, because I was a glutton for punishment, because I was scared to death to get in front of people. But the more I did it, the more I screwed up sometimes and bounced back is the more I became more comfortable with that process. So I think, you know, to get over some of those fears, and to really push past it, you've got to just go for the gusto. And I think that that's what people are going to have to do now, even though, you know, life has changed, is kind of just jump into some stuff that you may not have known before, you know, do some things you maybe didn't, we, we as a society are having to do things we didn't do before. But some of that is also going to help us grow in a new way. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not excited where we are, but I'm excited with the new things that we're going to be able to come up with as a result of being in this situation on how we can communicate and engage with one another. Different people have obviously different ideas about what poetry is. There are folks who obviously write and they never intend to read it out loud or necessarily for their poems to be read or performed out loud. There are people who focus on spoken word and who definitely want to perform it. And I always say to folks who have these impressions about, oh, well, poetry is confined to the academy. It's just for teachers and students studying and folks who get that kind of stuff. And I think to myself, if you go back and time, there's really nothing new about spoken word poetry. And it's sometimes difficult unless people come out and watch to know that. Yeah. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, as an African-American, oral tradition is something that is so rooted within our culture. 
and poetry in that aspect is as well, you know? And so one of the ways we pass down information was through this oral tradition. And so I think sometimes people forget that, right? We think that everything we've ever known was written and it's like, it's not all in books. Some right. of it was in our heads and some of it was transmitted audibly, you know? And, and, and the way to get people interested was to perform that, you know, you, you had people that would perform in small groups, you know, and give, and give these oral poems, these oral stories and pass that down. And so that's, that's been in our culture for, forever you know um and 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 it's it's easy to forget that it really is (laughs) you're endlessly touring and endlessly working on projects and so i i would like to know what you've been experiencing just sort of out in different spaces as businesses decide to close down we're being warned not to congregate in groups larger than 10 how is that affecting you personally and other creatives that you know I was actually heading to some schools next week in New York, and I wasn't finished touring this year. Um, My last tour date was April 19th, um, but majority of those gigs have been rescheduled for me for fall as of right now. Um, And so what that does is it put a complete halt on everything. Um, And so I think, you know, in in talking with my agents and talking with people and people who are in public spaces and who are performers, right, uh, in the entertainment industry where, you know, like our poems aren't written, they are performed. So what we're having to do is, and I and I suggested this, was some digital performances. You know, a lot of colleges and universities are going online. People are going online, you know, because they're stuck in their homes. And so now it's a matter of, okay, how can we still give them entertainment within their own houses? And so, you know, that to me is going to be a lot more mobile performances. It's going to be a lot more digital performances and, and tuning in live and maybe even some online open mics and, you know, people being able to tune in through Zoom and other areas um, to really access entertainment in a new way, you know? Um, and so, and I even suggested, you know, having these live question and answer sessions with students um, and even just getting into writing poetry with people during this time, right? And so some of that is, hey, log in, let's talk about what's happening and let's write about it. And then let's also, when we finish, say it out loud, upload a video. So some of this, you know, I'm, I'm glad that social media was there and this platform was already kind of created and we are where we are with it because there are a lot of new options. So um, I have a women's empowerment video that's actually coming out next week um, that we spent a lot of time videotaping down in Phoenix last month. And we're doing that full release on Zoom. But things have definitely changed. And I think one of the things that we're trying to really show people who are in the entertainment industry is having those who've hired them not to say, oh, we're canceling, but to say we're rescheduling or we're going to postpone. Because the the idea of just cancel, cancel, cancel is really detrimental to someone in our field. So, you know, just pushing past that and, and getting people to reschedule or rethink the way that you would do the performance instead of saying it's over with is, is really where we're headed. Well, I want to ask you finally then about your creative process, particularly in a video poem that I saw called Bread for This. And the first thing that I notice is a change in your voice. The line that really stuck with me is, shout out to your melanin skin, you are a fighter within. Can you tell me how that poem develops and where this persona sort of comes from, the change in the voice, for instance? <laughs> People tell me all this. My brother used to make fun of me, and he's like, "You have to become Lady Caress. Like, you, you, you switch it up, you know." And I'm like, "Do I really? Like, so, you know, sometimes I don't even notice that I do it, and I, I, I kind of don't know where it comes from, honestly. I think it actually is this extra persona that I put on. It's this like extra layer of confidence, and it comes with this heightened R. It comes with this, this slight, um, almost English in some way, you know. Um, but, but you're right. There is a change in voice, and I think that. 
it honestly just comes from uh, an idea of proclamation, right? I view poetry, especially spoken word, as like a way to proclaim. And I think that when you proclaim, you don't necessarily do it in the same voice that you would in conversation. Yeah. You know, you proclaim, you you share shout it out, you become it, you know, you speak it with confidence and, and with urgency. And so that has contributed to when it, when it's performance time, I'm in proclamation mode, right? Like I'm kind of like in, this is how I'm, I'm giving it to the public. And so there is a change in that, you know, and when it comes to, when I, when I wrote that line, um, shout out to melanin skin, you are a fighter within. I saw the people that I was talking to, you know, I think so many times I see people who look like me with melanin in their skin. And sometimes they say, oh yeah, well, you know, what we've been through it's it's so hard and it's so downtrodden and, and, and we should think about all the burdens but I, I choose not to look at them at bur- as burdens but as blessings as breaking off points for new trajectories and so it was important for me to see those people in that room and say listen you are a fighter despite what you've been through despite what people may have told you it doesn't matter we were born for this we were bred to go through stuff and be resilient and so I was you know it was coming from a place of excitement and it was coming from a place of not wanting to make people feel bad about our situations, but instead empowering them and saying, hey, this was just training for the next few years of your life. So buckle up and let's get ready to go. And we're still here, right? Yeah. 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 We were, we're still here. here. We are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Caress Russell, also known as Lady Caress. Thank you so much for coming to Word. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. cotton at the hands of greed. They enslave the downtrodden to plant their seeds. Ooh, but companies and crops weren't the only thing that grew. Hatred for a race ensued. Stolen, plucked, and chained. Bought, sold, and claimed. So many were broken to the point where they couldn't even recognize themselves. Crowns fell. Princesses and queens, princes and kings were stripped of their dignity and made to feel like things. Ooh, but God and breath be the only thing we need. And we knew that. So to the country that was built on our backs, in your own weird way, you made us the true definition of resilience. From scraps, we made gourmet southern foods. Our songs were used as tools as we were told to Wait in the water and follow the drinking gourd. Yet from plantations to politics, we are too often ignored, put down, regarded as nothing. Too often our protest is too powerful, yet our silence is too scary. They want us to stand back instead of stepping up. Oh, but there comes a time when oppressed people have had enough and get tired of being treated like stuff. But we didn't stand back. We educated ourselves underground, created the most prolific and the most profound. You see, slavery was meant to steal our culture and bury our respect. But our daddies didn't raise no fools, and we ain't finished yet. So shout out to Melanin Skin. You are a fighter within. We've survived difficult journeys and put aside our own yearnings to serve those who didn't even understand our worth. Ooh, but you have been royal since birth. So work your way out of a difficult situation. Kill them with courage, kindness, and contemplation. And if at any moment you forget who and whose you are, just remember how far our people have come. Understand your color makes you a conqueror. Thus, you cannot quit. 
And despite you maybe feeling broken, battered, and bruised, oh honey, you were born and bred for this. That was Bread for This, written and performed by Caress Russell, better known as Lady Caress. You can find out more about her work on our website at word.kjzz.org. And that'll put a cap on another episode. April is National Poetry Month, so please keep us up to date on what's happening in that sphere. You can send us an email to tmaxedon at kjzz.org. We appreciate your support of public radio. If you're not yet a sustaining member, we invite you to visit kjzz.org and click on the Donate tab to become one. Any gift of support is truly appreciated. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks for listening. Word. Word? Word. What's the word? Thanks for listening to Word from the KJZZ Studios in Tempe, Arizona. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org.